Step into the world of advertising with FjorgeCast, predicting the most important trends in the advertising industry. Host Tim Barsness dishes on the latest developments within the advertising realm. Tune into the FjorgeCast to receive insider tips and advice from experts within the advertising industry. FjorgeCast is your first stop in hearing about the unique opportunities and challenges advertisers face today. Cranberry Radio is proud to present FjorgeCast with your host, Tim Barsness. Thanks for joining us on FjorgeCast. I'm Tim Barsness, founder of web and mobile development team Fjorge. And today on our show from Phoenix, Arizona, we have Lee Dow uh, from the 48 West Agency. Welcome to the show, Lee. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about your agency? Sure. We are a small boutique agency located in the warehouse district of Phoenix. And we specialize in working with technology companies, really bleeding edge consumer brands and nonprofit organizations. And how did you find those niches? Really because of our backgrounds. So I grew up in the tech industry. I worked for two big Fortune 100 companies and um, really fell in love with technology B2B marketing. And in the last couple of years, we've added a PR director who has a news production background and has a, a big heart for nonprofit organizations. And we've added someone who has significant experience in the consumer space, but really likes working on new product introduction. Got it. And what, what made you get into the marketing field? Well, I actually started my career in politics. I worked uh, for a governor and then a U.S. senator right after college. And I really liked the public relations side of working in politics. And from there, I went to work for a really large company that Intel was a client. Intel ended up hiring me. And when I got to Intel, I worked in government affairs. I really enjoyed it, but you know, it's a very small group. So there wasn't tremendous opportunity for me to grow and get promoted. So I decided to go back to school and get my MBA. And when I did, I really started looking more into uh, new product introduction and the marketing that goes into that. So when I finished my MBA, I moved into more marketing and public relations roles at Intel. And you're a founder of 48 West? That's correct. Did you have co-founders? I do not. Okay. What made you decide to found your own agency? Well, after working in the tech industry and in such big Fortune 100 companies, I left about after about seven years of my second Fortune 100 company, I left because I was just ready for a new challenge and I wanted something that was a little more entrepreneurial, a online business to run their online communities. And while I was there, someone who I had worked with in the past from one of those big companies just randomly called me out of the blue and took me out to lunch and said, I really think that you should be out on your own. I think you should start your own company. Uh, I really just always thought that's what you should do. And for me, I always knew that I could do the work. And what I told him was, but I don't know if I can go get the work. I don't know how to do that. And he offered to mentor me and teach me how to do that. And um, and so that's how I got started. Very cool. So what what was the key to, to going and finding business? For me, it was really about originally, not anymore, but originally it was about selling myself. And my knowledge and expertise didn't, you know, start off with an agency. I started off freelancing because I thought, okay, well, I'll try it and see if this is something that I can even do or that I like. And for me, it was really about learning how to get comfortable with talking about my skills and capabilities and what I could offer, you know, for a client and help their brand grow. From there, after about six months of freelancing, it was obvious that 
okay, I think, you know, I've, I've got this and started looking at adding staff and, and growing. And we really grew very organically. We really grew through our network uh, that we'd built over years of working in those big companies. And that's really how we got started. So tell me about the transition from selling yourself as an individual to selling your your employees and their capabilities and the capabilities of your team as you grew. It's a hard transition and it's one that I think to some degree we're still going through. It's it's something that I really sought a lot of different mentors and uh, advice from people, you know, whose expertise I value. I joined a couple of different accelerator groups to learn from other people who have made that transition. And that's been incredibly helpful to me. I think that anytime you're starting a business that's about your knowledge and skill set rather than a actual product, you start off by, you know, selling people trust you, they know you, they know what you're capable of, they've seen your work in the past. And it's a very difficult transition from that to hey, I want to spend my time as a CEO working on the business, not in the business. And that was a big transition for me. It was a very big mental shift. And some of it is, you know, having that mental shift of letting go and trusting that, you know, the people that you've hired are, you know, great in their own right and and can, you know, do a great job. So we're a boutique agency and the people that we hire, uh, we're a very close-knit team. And most of the people that we've hired to date are people that we've worked with in the past that whose, you know, quality of work we know, we know about their skills and expertise. And, and because of that, you know, clients trust them. So for me, it was very difficult shift. Um, you know, not going to sugarcoat it. It's hard to let go of some of that when you've been doing it by yourself for so long, but it's, it's just now starting to really pay off in our growth and our ability to deliver even better services. I went through a lot of the same things. Uh, why do you think it's so difficult to let go? Well, I will say that, you know, the kind of background that I have, public relations people, analyst relations, investor relations, you know, by nature, we tend to be a little bit of control freaks anyway, because, you know, we really want to make sure that the messaging that we're delivering is delivered in the right way at the right time. So I already have a little bit of that streak in myself and I admit it freely. <laughs> so part of it was hard for me. But honestly, I think that the hardest part is, you know, if a client's developed a relationship with you in an agency, and especially the type of agency we are, where we're a boutique agency and clients hire us because of our knowledge and expertise, but also because they don't want to go through, you know, a big group account director like they would at a very large agency, they want to talk to the person who's doing the work. And so um, because of that, that means that they have a different relationship with us than they do with maybe a bigger agency. And, um, and so it's very important to them that, that they do have that relationship aspect with you. It's not just, you know, we're not just taking orders and, and executing on them. They view us as a strategic partner. Many of our clients, we have badge access to their facilities. We're treated, you know, like contractors and employees. Uh, so it's just a little bit different relationship than some agencies have. And because of that, I think that it was a little harder to get past. I I invested in, you know, Lee instead of I invested in the resources that are in the agency. Totally. Totally makes sense. Do you do you intend to stay a boutique agency or what, what's your plan going forward? We do. We never want to be one of those um, 100 plus agencies. And the reason for that is a couple things. One, I'm finding more and more that 
there's two kinds of agencies that seem to be very successful. One is the very large, you know, Ketchum's, Ogilvy, those types of agencies. The other is smaller boutique agencies that fill a niche and can partner with larger agencies to fill a gap for them. Where I'm seeing struggles in the market right now are those agencies that are in that, you know, 70 to 150 employee where they're they're not really big enough to compete with an Ogilvy or a Ketchum, but they're they're too big to deliver a, a good price point for those niche services. So our intention for now in our you know our long range plan is to you know stay below 25 people to deliver very specific services and to partner with other agencies that need our subject matter expertise. Absolutely. Totally makes sense. So how do you find those strategic partnerships? Um, A lot of times they come to us. One of the things that makes us unique is our deep um, subject matter expertise in certain technologies. Uh, So for instance, um, we have really deep expertise in the aerospace business. Uh, So we'll see many times uh, a larger agency wants to have someone who can have a seat at the table with them when they're pitching or serving a big aerospace client because they need someone who really understands the industry, you know, who can sit down at a table with a senior leader from that company and have, you know, a deep conversation about, you know, aircraft or services or parts um, or, um, you know, different types of military contracts that take place. Um, most agencies don't have that kind of subject matter expertise built in. Um, same for many different software and hardware technologies. Um, my Intel background um, and then a few other people on our team have uh, that kind of electronics background. Um, being able to have a conversation with a CIO or a CTO and understand what they're talking about. The other thing that we find we fill the gap on quite a bit um, and people come to us for is content. So, you know, it's very difficult to find great writers. It's almost often harder to find great writers who can write about technology and write about it in a way that makes you want to read it, that tells a story. Uh, So we get a lot of work from other agencies where they may have great copywriters, but they need subject matter experts who can write about the technology. And many times they might even take our work and run it through a copywriter, you know, to um, make it a little more consumer friendly. But, uh, but they still need somebody with that subject matter expertise, so they'll contract that work out to us. Absolutely. It's nice that you found that. Uh, we need to take a break, but when we come back, we will get some marketing advice from Lee. Don't go away. Georgecast with Tim Barsness will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Get educated and entertained by our panel of on-air experts and peers. And engage with us anytime by following us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn. So you can reach us before and after every program. Located on our new social shareable live streaming player. Access the new Cranberry Radio live stream player at our website, cranberry.fm. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. 
Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrands with a Z for eBrands. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Tim Barsness is back with more advertising advice with FjordCast. Only on Cranberry Radio. Welcome back to Fjordcast. I'm your host, Tim Barsis, and I'm here with Lee of 48 West Agency. Um, Lee, we were just talking. You mentioned, um, you know, because you guys are boutique, you um, are able to have kind of uh, in-depth conversations with CIOs or CTOs or leaders of large organizations. I'm curious, do you think the importance of that conversation is about the content of the conversation itself, or do you think it's more about gaining the trust of the leader? I think it's both. Um, I'll, I'll give you a really specific example. We had a software client that s- makes software that only about 60 multi-billion dollar companies in the world would ever buy. And so you can imagine that if you make a marketing mistake with those 60 companies, it then becomes 59 and then 58 and then 57. So there's really very little room for error. And because of that, you need to have a marketing strategy that speaks directly to the decision makers in that company. And it needs to be very intelligent and it needs to be on their level. Um, So one of the things that we did is we recommended an account-based marketing strategy for the software company to go to market. And that was a shift for them um, to think about it in terms of, I want to market to the CEO at that particular company or the CIO at that particular company. And when we did the research, they they came to us, the software company, and they had some assumptions about uh, who those people were, what their background was, and and they were building their marketing efforts off those assumptions. And we asked them to take a timeout and a pause and redo the research because we didn't think that it um, sounded right with what we knew of working with CIOs. Our experience working with CIOs tells us that Most CIOs are only in their role for less than two years, and many of them do not have significant deep expertise in the industry that they're working in um, because they move around so frequently. And the reason they is because they need to have a really good ROI in order to stay in their roles. So they had some assumptions and we had some assumptions. So we went back and we did the research and the research told us for this particular industry that in fact, out of the 60 CIOs that we profiled that industry before, and 56 of them were, had been in their roles for less than 18 months. Um, so that told us what our marketing strategy needed to be. It was one of educating and informing and helping them understand why this software would help them demonstrate a significant ROI within those first 12 months. So that's just an example of the type of marketing that we do and conversations that we have. And I think that it's difficult for other agencies to do that if they don't have that 
ability to talk to a CIO in their own terms, in their own language. And Lee, you, you mentioned, you call that an account-based approach to marketing. Um, mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? Um, to me, what it means is that we're able to very narrowly uh, target uh, very specific job types or companies or even people in those roles. As an example, in that particular instance, um, one of the marketing managers told us that she believed that the CIOs read a lot of print publications. And we said, I'm not sure that is true because these are CIOs of multi-billion dollar companies and they travel constantly. So we didn't believe that they would be carrying around, you know, stacks of printed publications, but they'd be very inclined to read the digital version of that. Uh, and when we did the research, that in fact was true, that they might subscribe to those print publications, but their primary consumption was the digital platform of those publications. And so because of that, we used account-based marketing to target them very specifically. Um, and then we even created content very specific to their company and the challenges we knew that they were having in their software environment. And were these people that the your client had already met with face-to-face -face and uh, you're, you're supporting um, by more exposure or are you, were you trying to get meetings through this approach? Uh, a mixed bag on this one. Uh, again, only 60 companies in the world uh, in that space. And uh, I would say they had a captured market of maybe about 20% and another, you know, maybe 15% knew who they were and the rest was building that awareness. Sure. Got it. Um, quick question on content here. Uh, would you say that there's value in uh, spending resources on content that's either short-lived, um, kind of the opposite of what people call evergreen content, um, or is there a better approach to short-term content? Um, well, we definitely believe in both. Um, and they both work for very different things. Um, long, the longer, more evergreen content, that tends to be where we put our focus on white papers and case studies, um, because those are things that can be used in a lot of different ways. Um, but for short, you know, short-lived content, we use that a lot when we know that a client um, has a customer facing a very specific problem or challenge that's imminent or immediate. We also use that kind of content when there's something in the news that might be relevant, that we can um, create a position paper or um, some type of um, hypothetical use case scenario that they can use uh, for sales objectives. Sure, absolutely. Um, do you have any experience working with chatbots? A little bit. Um, we're just starting to get excited about that. Um, we really think that uh, AI and chatbots are really going to change a lot of things in marketing and in public relations and journalism. I think that for me personally, I see um, what chatbots and AI can do for a customer experience and for marketing automation. Uh, but I'm actually more intrigued by what chatbots and AI can do in the newsroom uh, and how those will change the newsroom over time and help reporters, journalists, media outlets become more proactive and um, more engaged, write more engaging content on different stories that are happening in the news. And how would that actually happen? I'm not following the line of thinking there. Um, so in the newsroom, I've read a few uh, recent case studies of newsrooms that are looking to implement AI and chatbots to tell them about when stories are breaking, who's writing about them, 
what um, what the slant of the story is so that it helps them um, craft their edge or you know where they're going to go with the story that might be unique or different. Got it. Makes sense. Um, what What is it about 48 West? I mean, you mentioned that it's a boutique agency. Um, what is it about the work that you guys do that makes it so effective? I think a few things. One, in the nonprofit space, we only take on nonprofit clients in causes that we're very passionate about. Um, we're pretty selective about which nonprofit organizations we work with and why and how we work with them. Um, so that's, uh, you know, some of that comes from just our backgrounds and is it something that we feel like, you know, we can do a great job with because in the nonprofit world, you know, their resources are very slim and they need to make the most out of them just like any client, but we're maybe perhaps even more cautious in that space when how they spend their dollars. Um, in the technology space, we are really very good at understanding and grasping technology concepts very quickly and building a strategy around it that appeals to multiple personas, not just that really, um, you know, dialed in technology person, you know, not just the CIO or the CTO, but also who that end user of that product might be. Um, one of the things that we do really well is help technology companies get out of talking only about products or services and talking more, telling more of a story and talking more about how those products and services really help change the way people, um, you know, live their lives on a daily basis, um, how uh, different companies can leverage that technology to be more effective or more efficient and doing more of that storytelling rather than talking about, you know, product features and benefits, which many times technology companies tend to, um, you know, slant that way because that's what they're comfortable with. Absolutely. Why is that shift to storytelling so important? It just gives the product a life. It gives it um, meaning. You know, it, it tells people why this is so important. And I, I think that um, I really learned a lot of that when I worked at Intel. I mean, if you think about what Intel made back in the day when I started working there, I mean, they made chips. And you would think, well, how is that, you know, really interesting? Or how do you make that really compelling? But when you when I worked there, I was always so intrigued by I'm walking the hallways of people who literally changed the world. Um, maybe they didn't change it with a political policy or, you know, um, something like that. But if you think about the products that they made, you and I wouldn't even be talking right now the way that we are if those products didn't exist. Um, and so, you know, the ability to conceptualize a product, to engineer it, to turn it into something that can be manufactured is all very compelling. And there's lots of storytelling in there. But at the end of the day, the most important story is how it helps you live your life um, or what it helps you accomplish. Um, and many of these technology products have those types of stories embedded in them. Good job helping our listeners feel that transition. Uh, we need to take a break, but when we come back, we will cover the United United Airlines controversy as well as uh, a recently viral swimsuit giveaway. Don't go away. Cast with Tim Barsness will be right back after a word from our sponsors. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, 
song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts, we help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at priorthings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash circle. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Tim Barsness is back with more advertising advice with FjordCast, only on Cranberry Radio. Welcome back to FjordCast. I'm your host, Tim Barsness, and I'm here with Lee Dow of 48 West Agency. Our first story today goes into the United Airlines fiasco that has been uh, covered all over the globe. Um, obviously, we've seen other blunders in the news as well. Domino's, Uber, and other airline, JetBlue. Um, Lee, I'm curious, what is it about United Airlines PR strategy that seems to have gone wrong for them? Um, well, there's a few things that I think are really interesting about that story. Um, the first is that I know in the media it's been very covered almost as a public relations nightmare and a PR problem and a PR crisis communications case study. But for me, while the PR part of it is very important, I really look at it more as a brand strategy and customer experience crisis for for United. And I say that because if you've ever interacted with a company that has a very strong brand um, and a very strong brand strategy, that brand and brand strategy is injected and infused into everything that they do. Um, It's in their corporate culture. It's in their orientation. It's in how they integrate new companies that they've acquired. Um, It's in how their um, employees live and breathe that brand day in, day out. And if you just juxtapose that with, you know, a Southwest or a Nordstrom or Apple or any of these companies that, you know, have such a strong sense of brand and brand strategy and how that's implemented, 99% of the time, Things like this would never happen because everyone is on the same page as to who they are as a corporation. I feel like a company like United, you know, and companies that, and I've seen this in my own experience in working for two big technology companies, companies that 
are a conglomeration of mergers and acquisitions and weaker brand strategies really struggle when it comes to delivering an exceptional customer experience. And those exceptional customer experiences are celebrated in PR and, you know, in the media uh, and in publicity. And when they are not exceptional, they are what you see with United. And that makes total sense, Lee, that, um, you know, this may have manifested itself as a PR nightmare, but really what it is is a, a, a brand issue um, that needs to be corrected. Our second story today uh, from Adweek is about a botched sw- swimsuit giveaway uh, that went viral online and ended up um, having more response than was expected. The company then had to backpedal saying um, that they reserve the right to cap the promotion if they deem necessary. I'm curiously, um, is this something that you've seen in the past or how can you better communicate the, the overall plan for a promotion like this? I have seen this happen more times than it should, especially now that you know social media is not a new communications platform anymore. Um, and I think really whenever we have run any type of social media campaign like this with contests and giveaways, um, we always have a, a step, a legal approval step that we go through to make sure that, you know, attorneys have looked at this and looked at the um, rules of the contest to make sure that it's something that A, can be fulfilled, um, but B, you know, doesn't put the company in a position like this. Um, I really think that it was a good idea. And um, I just think that they needed to put some parameters around it. And I think if they had had the right level of consultation on not just the marketing piece, but, you know, order management and fulfillment, and as well as a legal overview, they probably uh, would not have had this outcome. Having said that, it did generate a lot of awareness for their brand. And so I don't think the idea was bad. I think they just suffered a little bit on execution. Absolutely. Sometimes putting a cap on things can also um, kind of create a sense of urgency to sign up for them. You know, the first 100,000 would get, you know, free swimsuit or whatever it might be, could actually make the campaign more successful. Absolutely. And I've never seen a social media campaign that, you know, intends to run in perpetuity. (laughs) Right. Right. Good point. Perfect. And we are out of time. So that's it for today on Fjordcast. Uh, Thanks for being on the show today, Lee. Thank you. I'm really a pleasure. Absolutely. Pleasure from my side as well. Uh, you can find Lee on Twitter at, at Lee Dow. That's L-E-I-G-H-D-O-W. And thanks, thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can download episodes of our program by going to cranberry.fm and subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 